3: Kia ora and welcome from RNZ National. Here's Our Changing World with me, Alison Balance. When we think of a laboratory, we tend to think of a room filled with people in white coats carrying out experiments. But in a real life, honey, I shrunk the lab. University of Canterbury engineer Vulcan Knock has miniaturised a lab so it can fit on a microscope. His lab on a chip allows biologists such as Ashley Garrell to measure the tiny forces that organisms such as fungi exert as they grow. Let's find out more about this miniature science world.
1: So lab on a chip is an interesting concept that has come out of, a long time ago, out of microelectronics when they started making chips out of silicon transistors. Um, Along the way, someone realised that silicon is a very good material to make mechanical devices as well. And you find those in all sorts of places now. Your phone knows which direction is up and down because of little micro-resonators that they build out of silicon. We don't use silicon anymore. We use plastics and other materials. But we've developed ways of making not electrical conductors on the chip but uh, fluid conductors on the chip. So we basically have little tubes, if you want to think of it that way, uh, that connect different parts of the chip. And you can inject reagents, and they can meet at different places. They can react. They can come out again. And you can analyze... You know whatever you can think of that currently is being analysed in a large-scale laboratory by several people. We do this now on a chip, so all these functions are integrated. It's a single person that runs the chip. Everything is controlled by some form of interface with a computer, and it does all those steps that you would do normally manually. And now we do this on a chip platform. How big is a chip? We try and uh, make the platforms uh, compatible with what uh, the current industry standard is, so that's usually a microscope slide or a... Uh, Well played, and we try and make the chips around those sizes that they can be interfaced with machines that already exist in the lab. In principle, we could make the chip very small, but then it would be tricky to operate it and to handle it. So think of it as the size of a microscope slide, a few centimetres across and a few centimetres long. What is on the chip, on the other hand, is a lot smaller. So the channels that we have on these type of chips, they tend to be around a third of a human hair in terms of the width of the channels. We can... Uh, get down to the dimensions that, in which the biology happens. So we can get down to the individual organism or even cell size um, with the device structures that we have on these chips.
3: The structures that Volk is talking about are fluid-filled channels and, the key component, some tiny, flexible pillars. It was these that caught the attention of fungi expert Ashley Garrell.
2: It all stemmed from a seminar that I, I saw Volker give and he presented some really beautiful images of nematodes uh, growing on the chips and they were sort of wiggling in between the pillars. So when they, they bonked into the pillars, the pillars would be displaced and so Volker was able to measure the forces that the, um, these nematodes were generating as they were swimming. Um, I've had a long-standing interest in fungal invasive growth, so how fungi can become pathogenic, how they can grow in plants and animals, and they're able to burrow their way into um, other organisms. Uh, You think of the vegetative structure of a fungus, we call it a hypha. It's essentially a pressurised drill bit case we can burrow into things and so I've I've long had an interest in trying to measure the forces because if we can understand how they can generate these forces we may get some means of actually stopping them growing in a pathogenic capacity so Volker and I got together put our heads together and so uh, here we are trying to measure the forces on the lab on a chip system
3: Volker certainly didn't have fungi in mind at the beginning, but he says he's no longer surprised by the uses people are finding for his device.
1: As an engineer, you never really know what your product is being used for. So, even even the first um, you know the first example of the nematodes and the worms that was not something we we expected. That uh, originated from previous work where people were looking at um, the force uh, that you apply to um, egg cells when you inject. Uh, egg cells in in vitro fertilization. So they wanted to build a robotic system to be able to control the force of the needle punching through the cell when it injects the um, DNA into the cell. And uh, so they needed to be able to measure that force so they wouldn't destroy the cell. Because currently that process is done by really trained technicians that spend years perfecting this operation, but that's why you can't do a lot of these cells at the same time. And a robotic system would help us with that so we, we looked at these pillars in the first project and said, like, these are ideal to measure forces with these worms. And, and then you come along, and, and Ashley comes along and thinks like, you know, your hyphae look exactly like these worms that we've been using. Um, it's just a matter of making these pillars smaller, but the principle is exactly the same, the mechanics are the same. So I think that's what gets me up and gets me to go to work every day is the fact that I never know what I'm going to be doing the next day.
3: So how exactly do you measure the tiny forces produced when the flexible pillar is bent?
1: The only thing that we really measure is how far does the top of the pillar move when it's being pushed. Um, That's a very simple measurement. You just measure distance. It has moved out of the normal position and it's been displaced by a certain number of micrometers. If you know the mechanical properties of that pillar, so how stiff it is, then you can say it required a force of this magnitude to be pushing against it to be able to be moving that far. So we can relate to the force from the movement or the distance that the pillar top has moved. Those forces tend to be in the micro-Newton range, so 10 to the minus 6 Newton. What limits us is the ability to measure how far the pillar has moved. These are transparent pillars. The hyphae are transparent. There's liquid in the system, so the optics become quite um, sophisticated when you go down to those dimensions. And the other limit is how small can we make the pillars, which at the moment we have just about reached with the organisms that we're using here.
3: PhD student Arjeline Tajawi is looking down a microscope at a lab on a chip where she is growing Aclea. Aclea is a kind of water mould. It's the same fungi-like group as Phytophthora, which causes Cody dieback disease.
0: The organisms that we are working with are very tiny, so we are talking about the Cell. what I'm working right now is uh, the diameter is between 15 to 30 micrometers. And actually I have another organism, which is a proper fungi called Neurospora, and um, they are tinier. And we are talking about between 8 uh, micrometers and 15 micrometers diameter. So in that um, aspect, we have been able to design pillar of 5 micrometers diameter, so it's, it's very tiny. How long does one of your
3: experiments run for?
0: Uh, it takes a long time, many hours, because once um, they are growing uh, next to the channel, you have to be here focusing on the microscope. As they grow, they go out of focus, so you need to be uh, focusing on the pillar and on the hyphae and see how far they are. So. We have the the microscope, which is attached to the computer, and the computer has that software that we record them growing. Then I use other programs to make a movie, and then we use MATLAB to track the, the displacement of the pillar.
2: The forces are very small that we're measuring, so we're talking about micronewton forces, but one thing you have to remember is that that force is applied as the thing is growing into material. It's over a very small surface area. And so they are actually able to impart quite significant pressures. And if you if you actually measure the internal, what we call the turga pressure, which is driving growth in these organisms, um, they've got upwards of 10 to 12 atmospheres of pressure in there. So the force that they can impart over a very small surface area is really quite an impressive uh, thing for what are very small organisms. In certain species, um, if you think about some which form special infection structures, you can get pressures of upwards of 80 atmospheres of pressure, which is really, really mind blowing. I mean, the mechanisms that these things have, invo- have evolved to, to grow invasively and to infect plants is, is really quite mind boggling.
3: So, for their size, they're extremely powerful?
2: Yes, yes. I mean, we call them pressurized drill bits. I mean, pressure in fungal biology is... They they use pressure for a lot of things, things like spore dispersal. Um, They're able to... You know, a standard, typical sort of mushroom could disperse its spores with a G-force that is about 20,000 times the G-force that a space shuttle astronaut would experience during takeoff. So it's really quite mind-boggling.
3: Ashley says it's not just physical pressure that allows something like phytophthora to push into a kauri route. It also uses chemical processes such as enzymes to soften the plant walls and make the job easier. But for the moment, he's just interested in the pressure. And the videos that Argelin captures allow us to actually see that as it happens.
2: What we've got is uh, a hypha growing out of a seeding area, so that's where we inoculate the hyphae. So it's a long, so pointy
3: thread? Long, like pointy several thread. Of them.
2: So, I mean, very similar to if you, if you sort of had a bread mould. Um, A bread mould is a fungus, so the little sort of white filaments that you'd have on a bread piece of bread if it was just standing in the cupboard for a couple of weeks. Uh, So these are growing by a process called tip growth. Uh, Tip growth is an amazingly complicated process, driven by the pressure inside the cells, but there's a lot of biochemistry, cell biology, biophysics going on at the very tip of the cell. And of course that's where we're interested in because of the protrusive force.
3: It's amazing, there's a whole lot of threads there now, and they're there's creeping down this channel. Yep.
2: yep, so so these are very hungry, and so the greater the surface area, the more nutrients they can absorb. So they want to increase the surface area, which is what they're doing. As, as you're saying, they're, they're forming branches, so new hyphal tips. These things can grow at several microns a minute, so they're they're really, really quite quick-growing microorganisms. And here's one growing down towards these pillars down in the chamber. So
3: this is a bit of an obstacle course now.
2: It's an obstacle course, yeah, and as I say, they can be sneaky. They can find a way to avoid these pillars. They're really quite smart. But here's one going in there, and there we go. The pillar's displaced. And so then you can measure that displacement, and then using MATLAB you can, you can calculate force in, in the X and Y directions. And so we've got an idea of the protrusive force.
3: So is this research going to have a direct impact on how we might manage a disease like Cody dieback?
2: That would be nice, but I think that's quite a long way down the track. I mean, this is very blue skies research at the moment. We're just really trying to understand the invasive processes of these organisms, and I guess down the track we'd be looking at maybe additional means of, of knocking the, out the growth of these things. It's probably also worthwhile pointing out that as we're learning more and more about fungi and oomycetes, we, we probably know of, it's estimated, about 5% of all the fungal and species throughout the world. So we, we only have a very small um, knowledge of how many actual different types of fungi and are out there. And there are also indications that they are an increasing uh, biological threat around the world. So we, there are well-documented um, examples of things like amphibians dying in Central America, white-nose syndrome in, um, in bats has knocked out large proportions of bat populations. And each of these things can have a very profound effect on the ecosystems that these things are living in. Um, and so... The fungi and the mycetes, if they can knock out these natural populations or severely uh, decrease them, they can have profound effects on the ecosystem. Also in economic terms, of course, if they're infecting things like crop plants, we can have profound impacts on human um, affairs. A classic example is the late blight of potato, which, of course, uh, knocked out most of the potatoes in Ireland um, in the 19th century.
3: The lab on a chip team is Vulcan Nock, Ashley Garrell and Arjeline Tajawi. They're all at the University of Canterbury and this work is funded by a Marsden grant. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web. rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. world. anō. Botox Cosmetic, out toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.